listening to Joygasm, a video game and movie podcast. I'm Russ, Xbox Live Toaster 360. He is Steve, Xbox Live Stevevich. And you've got a friend in us in episode 127 today, June 21st, 2019. We're going to have a little howdy doody time before we dive right into our topic of the day, which is uh, the Toy Story 4 review. Steve. Yes, Russ. How are you? Ah, it's the weekend. TGIF. It's close. It's close. Ah, it's getting there. You know, mm. actually, it's so it, close. I can taste it. It's a, it's just about there. Just about, Russ. It's right there. It's right right, right on the yeah, cusp. I can touch it. Mm. <laughs> Molest it. I can smell it. Fondle it. <laughs> give it a shove. Give, <laughs> give it a hug. Goose it. <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So what are you up to? Ah, well, I tell you what, Russ, I believe this time next week I will be done with Spider Pie. Well, that's good because I think you still have my external hard drive for my PS4. I do, but I probably won't be. Sukasa. I probably won't be giving it up anytime soon. Well, Steve, you're going to have to because I, uh, you know, with all the spare time I have, nah. I have a lot of games that I'm going to be looking to try and beat. Still have to play. Uh, well, I've played it, but. Still have to go through uh, God of War, God of Battles. Yeah. God of putting up with your kid complaining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What we need to do is we need to go out shopping and get you yourself mm. an external hard drive there, Steve. They are happens. super cheap, yeah, FY to the eye. Yeah. I actually bought myself another external hard drive for my workstation downstairs. Mm. And I think it will cost me maybe like $200, but that particular external hard drive i think is like a 10 terabyte drive oh, man i mean it's it's got tons and tons of space so if you wanted to get like a five or four terabyte drive yeah you could get one and it'd probably only run you maybe between 70 to 100 bucks that's great russ so i'll just use yours <laughs> taking it back <laughs> and you're gonna have to be stuck oh, playing xbox man. games for a while unless you get yourself your own one yeah you, you i got our own in mind for about a better oh, part of a year came now with you? the deal i came with the package did not come with any deal you said oh, i'm gonna sell you my playstation i got all these games downloaded on it uh-huh. oh great now like yeah i'm taking all those back and there is no there is a way to do it we just haven't figured out yeah there's well, something that we're not doing right because i have several friends uh-huh. who have contacted to me based on uh-huh. those conversations that we had. Yeah. And they said, no, it does work. There's something yeah. that you're not doing right. Yeah, okay. Well, until that works, it's part of the deal. No, it ain't. <laughs> yeah, I'm it taking is. it back. Well, you friggin' figure I've it out. I've been wanting to play God of War, my <laughs> PS4 Pro, to check out the graphics ever since I got the system. Yeah, okay. You, just have. don't be cheap, Steve. Just go out there and get yourself an external. I got like six of them. I you should bought, be able to pony up and buy one. I bought the system for the sole purpose of playing Final Fantasy VII, which is not going to be out till next year. Well, there you go. That's why you have an Xbox. <laughs> it's not coming out for Xbox. No, I, I. my point being is you have games you can play on your Xbox well, while I, you wait. I was going to say that. <laughs> so, but you wanted me to buy the, the system. Yes, at now. a discounted price. Very good price, I must say. Yeah, not really. Anyway. Uh, Whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, I still have a couple of games I need to play on Xbox that I have hardly even started yet, so... I need to do that. Uh, let's see. I watched a couple movies. I watched Beirut, which is uh, stars John Hamm, and it stars the other this the oh, God, I can't even remember. Her name. Not John Roast Beef. Nope. Uh, not John Turkey. <laughs> not John Pastrami. <laughs> <laughs> 
That actually has a nice ring to it and for some reason. I said that. I'm like, hey, not bad. Probably because it rhymed with turkey, but yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I, like, well, I just like pastrami. It is, pastrami is good. Pastrami with the little um, jack cheese. No, jalapeno jack cheese melted on dark rye bread. Amazing. Mm. Very good. A little mustard. My goodness. You sped around. I didn't bit. think that you were a pastrami guy. I'm very pastrami. Oh, well, that's, that's good to know. Yeah. So, uh, so that was interesting. It was kind of a lot of talking in that movie. It wasn't terrible. It was just, uh, by the end of it, I was wanting to go to bed. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> um, but it also stars the lady who was in that movie I was telling you about last time with uh, Christian Bale. I can't remember her name is, but uh, she did a good job too. Mm. Uh, I have to look it up in a second. And then I watched the, uh, I was trying to find it, the Clint Eastwood movie. I'm going to say this wrong, but it's... Uh, Unforgiven? Nope. It's uh, one of his newer ones. It's like the 317 to Paris, the 315 to Paris, except the 1517. Oh, yeah. How was that? that I wanted to see that. Yeah, that wasn't bad. Um, is it based on the subway event or was it the plane thing? Well, it was the bullet train. The bullet train. It's like okay. a high-speed train, yeah. yeah. I remember watching the news when that happened. Yeah. Uh, so it stars the, the all three dudes who were involved. Yeah, the actual military yeah. Uh, Americans. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it was interesting. I mean, they, they they do a good job. I mean, you know, they, yeah, they have, they're not actors, right, but I'm exactly. sure that, that you know it was probably still yeah authentic to yeah, watch. Well, there you go. It was authentic. Well, good, Steve. So it actually wasn't that violent either. I mean, you could uh, you know if your if your girly girl wants to watch a movie which is kind of dramatic. I'm not going to subject little bit of my four-year-old to that. No, I'm not talking about your daughter. Oh, oh yeah. You, you, you got to specify because <sighs> there are more than uh, just one lady in the household. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Have, her, have your daughter watch a Clint Eastwood movie. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, I'm yeah. trying to think if there is one that actually would be somewhat appropriate. Uh, I'm having a tr- uh, difficulty thinking of one. Probably not. But that's about, uh, no, okay, I'm almost done. Okay, next week also, I'm going to catch up with a few lingering shows that I've been wanting to finish. I'm going to catch up on uh, The Punisher. I got to finish that one, even, I'm, even though it's not that great. I still want to, I got I to gotta complete it. <laughs> going to finish that one. And then, you know what I haven't uh, finished is Longmire. I'm in the last season of Longmire. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't heard you say anything about that. Yeah, so I want to finish that one as well. And then I think I'm going to finish up, or at least start to finish up, the uh, uh, Black Sails. Oh, right. Yeah. Next week is going to be uh, knot tying week. Hmm. Tying up these knots. Exactly. Very cool. What are you up to, Russ? I've been doing a number of things. First of all, I watched The Girl Next Door, which I don't know if you've ever seen. But uh, yeah, I'm not into watching chick flicks by myself. So it's not really a chick flick. It's kind of, <laughs> how do I, I mean, I suppose it could kind of be that, but it's also kind of like, a, I don't know, Just Friends. Did you ever see Just Friends with Ryan Reynolds? And mm. um, I can't remember who else. That's a really yeah, funny movie. Can't say I have. Well, anyway, a couple of things end up happening. First of all, you have been talking quite a bit about the TV show 24 because you've been watching it. And of course, right. that has Jack Bauer's daughter, who's played by um, Elisha... Uh, Cuthbert. 
Ah, yes. Yeah, she's hot. And uh, yes, <laughs> she's very pretty. She's very beautiful. Uh, but what was interesting was that I was actually on the Xbox store looking at just deals and stuff, and they had a grouping of movies that they were making available to rent for like 99 cents. And I was like, oh, okay, well, let's see what they got. And that was a movie that I always wanted to check out because it, I think it came out back in like 2004, if I'm not mistaken. And of course, that was um, right around the time. It was actually, I think that came out before I started watching 24, because I think I was a little late to the game of 24. I started watching it around 2007, I want to say. But I believe that the movie itself had come out around that 2004 timeframe. Anyway, um, I really liked her in 24. I thought she was really cool. Obviously, um, she's been more, I want to say her career... She she still is in movies, but I haven't seen um, a lot of like the front running type of, of films. I think she's also really involved with TV. I think there's like multiple TV shows that, that she's working on. But in any event, saw the movie. It was a fun movie. It was actually something that like it's very reminiscent of the early 2000s in terms of like the types of movies that came out during that time. Like if you recall, like Van Wilder came out and right. uh, around that time frame, and, and there were a bunch of others too that were just, I think like Euro trip and road trip and some other ones. <laughs> All kinds um, of trips. Well, I mean, if you think about it too, um, Elisha was also in old school. Did you ever see that? It had like Will Ferrell and um, yeah, I think I did. one of the Owens brothers was in it. Um, or not, I'm sorry, not the one of the Owens, uh, one of the uh, Wilson brothers, right? You have Owen Wilson and Luke, yeah, Luke Wilson. I think Luke Wilson was in it, and then you had Vince Vaughn was in it as well. Anyway, did you see it or not? I did see it. Okay, she was the girl, the college girl that Luke Wilson's character ended up hooking up with. And consequently, I think was the daughter of her boss or I'm excuse me, of his boss. And so like they kept having these running like run ins of like seeing each other. He's like, oh, <laughs> so anyway, really, really cool to be able to finally watch it. Um, you should check it out. It's actually it's it's a it's worth a watch. Oh. OK, I also beat Cuphead. Yeah, I noticed that without me. Yes. I did. That's what happens, Steve, when you start having some extra time on your hands. You decide to start taking matters into your own little gloved hands, especially when it comes to snapping. But, um, man, it took a while, though, because they were just... It's it's just like every other boss in the game where you're having to learn all the different attacks and how you're supposed to dodge at certain times and parry at other times and just going for the kill and stuff. And so... I'm happy, Steve. I'm very, very happy that I can finally put that title to bed. Wow. It's been a long time. But I, and I will tell you, if you are still interested in being in the game for yourself, Steve, I mean, you're more than welcome to still plop on the couch and give it a go. And, I, and if you want me to play with you, I'm more than happy to give it another go. Give it a whirl. But I got to say, I mean, I was so pumped. I even recorded. Uh, I, I figured you would. The thing, I, you know. Just in case you wanted to watch it, I did in fact record it, and I sent I sent the picture of one of the ending pics to you as proof that I made it through. I think you actually posted it. Also. No, I did. No, I you didn't. Post. Uh, maybe I did. Yeah, I think you did. Maybe I did. I, although I don't know if I posted it to all of the different channels. Maybe I posted it to like Instagram, mm. like the Joygasm Instagram page. I'm not exactly sure. 
Anyway, man, super happy about that. Um, both Cuphead and Ori and the Blind Forest are like these super hardcore, old school approach games that you have to really earn your way through. And I'm very, very thrilled about that. I was also playing more Dead or Alive 6 because they have two new DLC characters, one being uh, Mai Sharanui and Kula- Kathy Ireland. No, I'm just kidding. Kathy Ireland. <laughs> Kula Diamond. <laughs> Close. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing Mai's last names correctly. It's like Sharanui. I don't know if that's how you say it. But anyway, she was in Dead or Alive 5. She was one of the DLC characters of that. And of course, she's from the book. Actually, both of these ladies are from the King of Fighters stable mm. um which is really cool that that they're kind of making like a crossover i love that <laughs> i know we've talked about in the past you mm-hmm. i love how in the fighting genre you're getting all these different types of little cameos you know like you know soul caliber six you got the witcher three mm. you got a little Geralt action in there Geralt. And, and you just you have these different uh ips is great so anyway, I was playing around with them. Um, definitely love my. I've always been a fan of her since King of Fighters. Kula, on the other hand, I'm still trying to get used to because she has kind of these ice attacks uh, and it's just kind of more luck of the draw of me just trying out different button combinations. I'm going like, okay, uh, let's see what happens when I do this. And she's fun to play. I just need time to be able to go through the tutorials and get kind of the command list down. And I know you're not a fighting kind of guy Steve. you know by speaking of did you i don't think you actually talked about on the previous episodes of joygasm that you beat the story mode of tekken 7 um well i I, yeah i guess yeah i guess i did didn't i i think it's worth mentioning because typically you you poo-poo the fighting genre as a genre that you are not interested in yet you single-handedly went through the story mode of Tekken 7 and beat it. Yeah, I did do that. You're right. Um, But it was just kind of blah. It wasn't very exciting. Yeah, it it was... It lacked kind of the immersive, I don't know, hook that the previous Tekkens had. Yeah. And I, I mean, for me personally, just from a graphic standpoint, I'm still completely confused as to why it doesn't look 1080p. Yeah. And I think it was proven like it's it's some random number. It's like in between 720p and 1080p. And 685, right. It's weird. It's I, I want to <laughs> say it's like 960p or something. I, I don't know exactly what it is, but anyway, it's probably a game that if you were to play on PC, it would actually look correct, but yeah. Now, also, we played Sea of Thieves. Yeah, we got back on, on Twitch. The boat. Yep, and that was really cool because they had some sort of big anniversary release, and we were checking out some of the new additions to the game. You want to talk about that, there, Steve? Well, yeah. Well, we were a little bit behind on the release because the release was back in April. April. Yeah, it was back in April. I, f- I want to say that we had played Sea of Thieves no, I, since April. Yeah, I don't think we... we Are yeah. you sure? Yeah. I think I'm we going to look it up I, while I you talk about I think we were going to, and then we ended up playing something else instead. If I remember. Really? Correctly. Yep. Because April was a while ago. Yeah, it came out back at the end of April. So, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, we're all... Basically, since last time we played Sea of Thieves to this time that we played Sea of Thieves, they finally included variety in our diet. 
And so we're able to. <laughs> yeah, now, you were pretty excited about that. Yeah, eat nothing but bananas. Bananas are the nourishment of life. And now we have mangoes, and we have pomegranates, and we have coconuts, and we have worms we can fish and also eat. And we have shark meat, and I think we can actually cook chickens and pigs also. It's about time. Yeah, I think you can cook every animal that's in the game. Like, you can even cook Megalodon. I think yeah, that was well, one of the things. I, well, it said you could, yeah, or uh, it said you could cook, like, meat from the uh, the Kraken, which um, is odd because- Yeah, that was the other one. The Kraken, for the longest time, you're not able to see. So I don't know if they just give you the meat. You're right, Steve. It was April 30th. Thank you very much. It has been a spell since right. we've played this game. Yes, it has. Time flies. It does. When you're complaining about Anthem and you're still playing Anthem. <laughs> anyway, so. <laughs> when you're wondering how you got screwed over so badly by Anthem. Yeah. Uh, so anyway. So yeah, it was uh, definitely fun. Definitely beautiful. But by the end of the game, my Wi-Fi was cutting out like crazy because we had a major. Nah, it wasn't a major storm. It was a major storm elsewhere, but not for us. Just. Or my wife, I didn't like it. I was uh, well. The lightning was like a strobe outside. Yeah, I, I went know. out after we were playing, and I checked it out, and it was just it was just flash, 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 yeah. flash, flash. I was like, man. But what was weird was that the thunder was pretty few and far between. Yeah, it was mostly just this light show that was going on. Right. But no, I, I really did enjoy the game. I, I thought that there were a lot of really good decisions that were made in the update. Um, I went into the stores because I wanted to see if they had any new items. And of course they actually do have a considerable amount of new items that are in there, which is cool. It always makes it feel more fresh, but also I really appreciated the UI design update that they deployed with the various um, merchants. So regardless of whether or not you're looking at new parts for your ship or you're looking at new clothing items or weapons or whatever, what's really nice is that they have partitioned each section at the top. So you have these little icon circles Tabs, that are up there and yeah. you can, you can literally tab between them. Whereas before right. they kind of just shoved it all together and you were just paginating through, like depending on how much a, a, you know, any given merchant had, like you you would have to paginate like two to five times to look through stuff. And it, like I said, they're really, wasn't a whole lot of order to the items themselves. I was supposed like, yeah, like they kind of sort of organized like what the, the, the bold rats would have versus like bold rats or build rats, build rats. I'm oh, sorry. Um, you know, like, like the, like the different classes, like they kind of sort of align that, but yet it still wasn't, I don't know. I really love how they've put it together now where it's very easily, I can just go up and, and say, oh, I want to go to this particular icon, which I know will only show and filter these types of items I want to look at. Very nice. I feel like that's a nice addition to, or follow up really to what they did with you collecting items from the barrels where you could just grab it all in one click. You don't have to sit there and tap, 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 tap. Oh God, I got five bananas. Tap, 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 tap. Oh, I got some, uh, you know, <laughs> black shiny balls yeah. and cannonballs. So yeah, I, th I thought that was really cool. And to your point, I mean, just having the ability to have more than just bananas to eat, having the coconuts, the, the mangoes, the, what was it? Pom pomegranate? Pomegranates. What else? I mean, of course, you had the worms, the leeches, the yeah, grubs. The fish. You can eat your fish. That's right, the fish. Okay, so the fishing mechanic itself. 
I'm going to say I think that the Red Dead Redemption 2 fishing mechanic is slightly better. Mm-hmm. But having said that, I do think it is a lot of fun to be able to fish in this game. I, I Since the very beginning, I have been begging for a fishing gameplay mechanic to be deployed in this game because I mean you're a pirate you're surrounded by water like you you should be able to fish in this game and I think it's fantastic because it drastically changes what you typically do in this game I mean typically you you just you, you collect all your items you put them on the ship and then you go sail to an island and, and you you know take on like undead skeletons or you're looking for different animals or whatever and that's kind of all you do of course, you know, if you want to get into like some sort of epic battle with other pirate ships, you can. But really, it's like that there are so many other things that you should be able to enjoy in this world. Fishing is one of them. And I mean, it took us a couple tries. Like we were trying to figure out how on earth do we reel this thing in? And then we eventually kind of got the idea, the hang of it. And we go, OK, this is this is how you you, you know, slowly but surely get it in. And after we had stopped streaming that night, I actually um, looked up on my phone, like, what do you do with the fish? Because I didn't want to just eat the fish. I saw you eat your fish, and that was really fun to watch. Sushi style. Yeah, but, like, apparently, and I I don't know if you've looked this up already or not, but the information I was able to discover is, first of all, you can cook your fish. Right. And you can cook your fish on any open fire that you come across, on any island. Like you just, you, you hold the fish out there somehow, some way, and the fish slowly turns kind of a golden brown. And apparently that will give you more health than if you eat the fish raw. Yeah, I got nothing, hardly. And also, it makes the value of the fish go up if you want to sell it, hmm. which I thought was interesting. Like a little bit of extra effort and TLC into the fish, it somehow makes the fish worth more money. Now, the other thing is, is that if you noticed... <clears throat> when you hit the menu button, you'll see like there are new, um, I don't know what, what, what classification does it fall under? It's like, it's like under your commendations or whatever. But anyway, they have this whole new list of commendations that are associated with fishing and selling it and everything else. You have to go to those little outpost shops that are in the middle of nowhere in the water and that's where you interact with people who are willing to buy your fish. And that's how you work towards unlocking those commendations ah. and those titles and stuff. So I ended up taking that one fish I did catch, which was the, the big blue one. It was like the trophy something or other. I can't remember what it was, but like took it to the guy and um, I didn't, I didn't cook it because I didn't know anything about that at the point in time, but uh, you know, sold it for a little bit of gold and then was able to start that process of, of that particular commendation. So I don't know. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And I think it's going to be cool to be able to get with a group of people and maybe just take those breaks. We're like, you know, we were, we've brought the ship back into port and we're just going to hang out at the dock and do some fishing and stuff. I don't know. I, I think there's a neat dynamic that is being introduced into this where it's just chill. I think so much of the game is like running around, collecting stuff, shooting stuff, having those pirate battles, but you don't really have anything to do where you're just kind of hanging out, having fun, catching fish. And I, I don't know. I, for one, uh, am pretty pleased about that. What's that you, Steve? Well, anything more than what's been happening for the last half a year <laughs> is a plus, Russ. Yes. 
Very much so. Do you find that you enjoy the fishing mechanic? Um, I think it's fine. I don't. I think I might get bored of it a little bit quick. Uh, I mean, you know, you, you I, there's only a certain amount of fish, and then I think if you catch them all, then it, you know, it besides it being a little bit of extra food for you, or a little bit of extra gold, you know, it might get old kind of quick. I also when they would introduce some sort of pets or like some more live live stuff. That is a good question though. I wonder if they are still planning on releasing pets because for the longest time, that is what the developer rare was talking about was they were going to have all kinds of different pets, but I think they ran into some kind of technical issue or something. So they delayed the release of that. I'm still hopeful that that, that will eventually happen. And I want like a pet octopus or a pet squid, something like that. I want something very, oceanic very inky yes very much so and i want it to be attached to my head i'll just take a crab i'm simple <laughs> i don't even know if they're gonna have crabs i mean if i remember correctly they're gonna have a cat a dog a monkey well that's no fun i mean a monkey's kind of interesting but a cat and a dog a parrot well I'm a, i would assume a parrot i would like a, either there would be a parrot a a monkey a crab a octopus of some sort, mm-hmm. you know, stuff that you would kind of associate with pirates and or sea life, just some kind or, of st- or island life. Focus on the exotic, right? I think I think that's. I mean, it is nice that you have pigs that you can chase around, but they're not your pet. Or like a turtle, a little, yeah, little snapping turtle, yeah, yeah. I mean, it can live outside the water and it can live in the water, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, a monkey can't really live in the water, but I mean, a monkey, you would probably expect to be on some island. Well, what if you were to launch the monkey onto an island and the monkey would actually- Retrieve a bottle of, with a little map in it? I was about to say, there retrieve a bunch of bananas. How would the monkey get back? That is a good question. Yeah. Maybe yeah. Like, you, like you would be on the island too and the monkey could like jump off your shoulder, go run and come back with bananas. So like if you're fighting the undead, for example, you'd never run out of bananas. Or- you can launch him to an island that has a rowboat, and you he would already be automatically just know how to reuse the rowboat, and he would row back to your ship. No. <laughs> I don't think that would work out. Asking for too much. <laughs> Two. Infinity and beyond! Everyone, Bonnie made a friend in class. Oh, she's already making friends. No, no, she literally made a new friend. I want you to meet Forky. Uh, Hi. Hello. Ah! (gasps) He's a spork. Yes, yeah, I know. Forky is the most important toy to Bonnie right now. We all have to make sure nothing happens to him. Woody, we have a situation. Not a toy. I was made for soup, salad, maybe chili, and then the trash. <gasps> Buzz, we've got to get Forky. Affirmative. Why am I alive? You're Bonnie's toy. You are going to help create happy memories that will last for the rest of her life. 
Huh? What? Oh, yeah. Bo? Forky, come on. Bo? Bo? Hi there. My name is Gabby Gabby. We can't stay. <laughs> yes, you can. Boy. What is behind you? Bo! What are you doing here? No time to explain. Come with me. We need to get back to our kid. Aw, Sheriff Woody, always coming to the rescue. Bonnie needs Forky. Woody, who needs a kid's room when you can have all of this? Wow. Woody, aren't we going to Bonnie? What do we do, Buzz? What would Woody do? Jump out of a moving vehicle. Let's go! Yeah, if you gotta go, you gotta go. If you should ever leave me. You know, you've handled this lost toy life better than I could. Open your eyes, Woody. There's plenty of kids out there. Sometimes change can be good. You can't teach this old toy new tricks. You'd be surprised. Bonnie? We're going home, Porky. God only knows what I'm coming! I was made to help a child. I don't remember it being this hard. Woody, somebody's whispering in your ear. Everything's gonna be okay. I realize that my To Infinity and Beyond is nowhere near as good as Tim Allen's. You gotta belt it out a little bit more than that, Rush. <laughs> I mean, it's blast off. It's true. It's true. I apologize. <laughs> Apology accepted. Our topic of the day is Toy Story 4. We are going to provide our spoiler-free high-level thoughts on the film before we jump into the spoiler elevator and go into the spoiler territory talking about every little nook and cranny of the film. Steve, what did you think of Toy Story 4? <sighs> well... I uh, it was better than I thought it would be on the trailer because the trailer kind of made it like what what are you guys making here? It's it was like, pretty abstract. Yeah, a little bit abstract. Yeah, that's exactly the word I was thinking of. Um, so <laughs> 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 anyhow, it did seem like a little bit of them trying to force another Toy Story movie, but since it's Toy Story, it still kind of worked. However, I felt after Toy Story 3, I didn't need a Toy Story 4. Like, Toy Story 3 kind of finished the whole thing up for me. So we had this one here, and it's like, oh, the, you know, the characters are happy again. You're like, yeah, but they were happy before. And okay, well, we got another Toy Story. Let's watch it sort of thing. Ah, I don't know. I mean, it, it was fine. <laughs> it, it, was, it was fine. I just didn't, you know, it, it wasn't as a, I didn't appreciate it as much as the original trilogy. But, uh, you know, that being said, I had a good time with it. I wish they would have shown a lot more with the some of the other toys. Uh-huh. Some of the other, like, beloved toys. I wish they had a little bit more screen time. I will say that. But uh, it was nice to hear all the beloved voice actors back on screen again. And some new ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right you are. No charm was lost. No. And it is funny. Yes. Uh, especially after watching it. After finding, uh, spending a lot of time trying to find a parking space now that school's out, everyone's going to see movies late at night. My goodness. Mm. Ah, it wasn't too uh, jovial when we got to the theater, but I was laughing during the movie, so that's good. Oh, good, Steve. I, mean, I, didn't, I, didn't, I should have got some popcorn, though, Russ. I was kind of 
had an itch. Well, let me tell you, I was stuffing my face. Yes, you were. I hadn't had dinner yet, so, you know, I went for the theater food. They made a lot of money off me. I got myself an Angus beef hot dog with some ketchup and radish. Got myself some nachos, some nacho cheese. I also got myself some peanut M&M's. Every kind of hearty dinner you want. I don't think I got anything else though. I had. I washed it down with a bottle of water. water. Yeah, the only healthy thing out of that entire thing. (laughs) But hey, sometimes you just gotta eat junk food, you know. You guys got any chicken wraps? (laughs) I was gonna say I should have ordered like a small popcorn though, because popcorn would have just sealed the deal. I think with the M and M's and everything else. Oh yeah. Ah. All you know what's weird about that food is that. When you eat it all together, it just kind of works. Like it's you're you know uh, it's not good for you, but like every once in a while, me. you just you just eat it all together, and it's like a garbage disposal. Oh, that like, yeah, exactly. Right. But that, that intaking garbage disposal doesn't work. Outtaking garbage disposal works, mm, Russ. I see. If I would if I'd have ate all that stuff. I would have felt like a beach ball bumbling around <laughs> back to my car. I will say I had some indigestion there when I got home. I think I was feeling a little acid reflexy. Yeah, nobody touched me. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought the movie was really fun. I thought that it was a risk for them to take on Toy Story 4 just because I agree with you. I think that Toy Story 3 did such a fantastic job wrapping up that trilogy and it was a fond farewell to the characters that we had grown to love. You know, the first Toy Story had come out in 1995 and seeing them with Andy, of course, you know, at the end of Toy Story 3, Andy ends up giving his toys to this other kid who's a lot younger because Andy's going off to college. And that was a very bittersweet moment, but I thought it was a very appropriate way to kind of have that sunset. It's a fantastic moment. It was. The whole thing was, was just expertly done. So it was interesting. And I think it's saying something for me to say that how much I really enjoy Toy Story 4 because the entire time leading up to seeing the film, I was concerned about, okay, how are they going to be able to continue the story of Toy Story? (laughs) So anyway, I thought it was fun. I thought it was funny. I mean, I was laughing quite a bit. I thought the, the comedic timing for a lot of what they were doing was spot on. And a lot of it was original. It wasn't like, oh, here's that same joke that we've heard over and over and over again when this situation happens <laughs> and it calls for. Like, no, like a lot of it was just really original and funny. I mean, I just, I, I really enjoyed it. So I think there was, there is quite a bit of familiarity though with it. I mean, when the way the story progresses, we, we won't talk about quite yet, no. but with the way the story progressed, there is definitely some familiar moments, like the same sort of kind of ish formula. Yes. That you will know. Very Toy Story-esque formula that, I mean, really, if you think about each one of the movies by themselves, the formula is just, it's repeated within each movie. Kind of, yeah, sort of, yeah. And it's, you know, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I say let's uh, sashay into the spoiler elevator here, Steve. You know, have you ever yes. seen any of your toys <laughs> come to life? 
I've seen them give me awkward looks. I know what you mean, Steve. Like I'll wake up, open my eyes, and something will be staring right back at me, but it, you know, it's my toy. And I don't remember I left them there. So either I'm sleepwalking or they're moving throughout the night. I, I, I hear what you're saying. Sometimes I'll see a toy and I'm thinking, that toy wasn't there a minute ago. It wasn't where I left it, at least. And other times, too, the toys will be arranged in such a way where I'm just like... I'm not that clean and organized. No. <laughs> or they'll be in some sort of weird, unnatural position. I'm thinking, eh. I love my toys. Oh, I know. You're uh, quite the hoarder. I'm a man-child. <laughs> of course, my toys get more expensive as I get older. You know, they did have... There, there was some different humor in this one than there had been in other Toy Stories. And that's not a bad thing. True. But there, I, but it is noticeable. It is noticeable. Um, Toy Story 4. I think what you're describing was necessary in terms of them possibly kicking off a second trilogy. Right. I think that the first trilogy had a timeless classic approach to the humor as well as the visuals, as well as how the characters personalities were. And I think that we're starting to see a little bit of a digression from that with toy story four with, in all those, those senses. So let's talk about the plot. <laughs> Uh, air's a little thick in here, isn't it, Russ? It is, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what the heck is happening. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, I just can't breathe. Um, so, Toy Story 4. The plot, I'm glad that they started out showing kind of a brief montage. That was good. Of Andy growing up. Cleverly done. Giving his his toys to this new girl. I, what's the girl's name? Do you Bonnie. Remember? Bonnie. Thank you. That's Bonnie. Right. Bonnie. 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 I thought that, that the the approach to a lot of the source material was intelligently handled. And what I mean by that is you have this group of toys that was collected by Andy. And, and we have been enjoying Andy's world from, from the past three movies. And now they find themselves in this world of Bonnie. And of course, it's not like Bonnie didn't have any toys until Andy gave her his toys clearly she has her own group of toys and so you're going to have a bit of that melting pot or meshing where you have the toys you know they're, they're being diplomatic and courteous toward one another and stuff but they're they're also trying to find their place right within this this new structure and well plus just because bonnie got a bunch of new toys doesn't mean that she's going to love those new toys more than her existing toys exactly and so i i actually really like that because I feel as though we had fully explored Andy's world. By the end of the third film, it's like, yeah, that was a great bookend to that particular world. And so now, of course, it's like, okay, well, now let's take these, these characters that we all know and love. Let's place them in different types of environments and see what kind of, of new journeys they go on, what kind of new character arcs they're having to explore. And I thought that was really cool. The one thing, though, that I thought was a bit of a bummer, and this is um, in line with what you were talking about, is how most of the characters that we've come to grow and love 
and no one love. <laughs> um, they really didn't have very large parts in this particular movie. And you could tell they were making a conscious effort to introduce new characters into the fold. And I have a kind of a, a back and forth reaction to it because on the one hand, all of the new characters that they introduced were fabulous. I loved all of the new characters. They injected brand new life into this franchise. I thought it was terrific. At the same time though, what makes Toy Story Toy Story are the toys. Right. And you have this fantastic motley crew of different types of personalities and toy types, yeah. Yeah, quirks and, and just, you know, it, it's just really, really cool. And I would I really wanted to be able to enjoy watching them more. And I kept thinking throughout the film that they're gonna start coming in. Like that, like they were gonna kind of do maybe like a trickling in of sorts where like, you know, they just needed backup. They needed more um, from these different characters who had specific abilities or whatever. And that just never happened. Yeah, we never saw. So yeah, it wasn't just it, the the original toy group. It was like Bonnie's group too. I mean, we got this plethora of new toys that were in from the last game or the last the last game. <laughs> and technically, <laughs> there is a Toy Story game. That that that's true. Quarter percent correct. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> anyhow, so we didn't see that those group of toys really make it that much of a of screen time or an entrance. I mean, we saw them. We're like, oh yeah, I remember that guy. Oh yeah, I remember that one too. And then like they're gone, you know. And then we just focus on on Woody and Bo Peep and maybe Buzz, uh, but and then the, the, the new characters and that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. It was very much a, um, a departure of that. And I, I feel as though there was a bit of a missed opportunity. I did appreciate how they had the rescue mission with the RC car. And that was cool. Yeah. Very much in line with what you've come to expect from the previous Toy Story movies. And I mean, who doesn't like that? I mean, right. all the ingenuity that, that comes with that, I think is just great. The new characters. Um, well, okay. Let's, let's just, let's talk about Forky. This is a brilliant idea. This character was, okay, first of all, it was risky for them to have some sort of unknown made up toy. Yeah. You know, because up until this point, they've really, I mean, okay, let me back up. So characters like Woody and Buzz Lightyear, those are our original designs that Pixar came up with that are based off of like Woody, for instance, were, was loosely based off of kind of the, the, the old classic cowboy toys that were that were really popular like the, yeah the boy rag doll instead of the girl rag doll right stuff, yeah right. and of course buzz lightyear was just this culmination of different really action neat figures. modern yeah. action figure type of stuff but they were their own original designs which is really cool having said that though all of the other toys are based off of their counterparts their real life counterparts the army men the barrel of monkeys the bo peep mr potato head slinky dog barbie you know like there are all these different celebrated toys that have come out and, and left major impacts on, on multiple generations. So it was really cool to see this approach where the child uses her imagination and she comes up with her own toy out of a spork. And of course, a little twisty tie stuff. Like <laughs> that, that, that man, that like just seeing that brought me back to being a kid. Cause that, that, I mean, that was so prevalent. Right. 
But um, I feel as though it paid off in dividends because the characters, and I, and I think the key to it was that the whoever, I can't remember who the voice actor is, but whoever voiced Forky nailed it. <laughs> what did you think? So I, I agree and I disagree both because Forky I see as, as someone who was used in the transition of the movie. However, I don't see him having staying time. Staying power? Stay, well, I, I was going to say staying power, but I know staying time was really... Because as Bonnie's going to grow up, she's going to throw out these toys that she made because she's going to want newer, more modern stuff. And the, the, the spork and the little tube tie you know, things that she made in kindergarten, that's not going to make her want to keep it. Tony Hale is the the voice actor for Forky. Right. So as Bonnie's going to grow up, she's going to throw that stuff out. Some of the retail stuff, some of like the the bigger manufactured stuff, she's going to keep it for a little while longer. But, you know, some project that she made in kindergarten, she's, she might keep it in a box, but she's not going to bring it out to play with as she grows older. It's very difficult to know for sure. You know, one of the things I think about is my daughter. She hasn't made uh, her own toy, but we both know that she loves her unicorn that she calls uni. And that thing is the, just the rattiest, like just, just weathered thing. And, and we've tried to buy her a new version of the exact same toy. She refuses to bond with that newer, cleaner version of the toy. <laughs> she has absolutely bonded with that old ratty thing that she's had for four years. She doesn't want the sanitary one. She doesn't. And like, you know, we, my wife still washes the, the stuffed animal <laughs> and does what she can to try and make it uh, somewhat clean. And, and, you know, uh, but she takes it with her wherever she goes and she plops it down. It's, it's like her security in kind of a way. And so it's it's neat to be able to see that in person and then go to a movie like this as well because I honestly I could see certain children forging some kind of bond with like a toy or a character or something that that they have manifested. And it I, I liked how in the movie too, how the parents were just like, What what's so big about this little forky yeah, the parents, you know, thing? The parents have grown up, they don't get it anymore. I mean, they're not using their imagination to make toys, they're you know. Going to work. And I love the idea of how, <laughs> because he came from trash, it was like, he was just obsessed over trash. Right. He, didn't, he didn't accept him being a toy. He was just trash. Like, Why am I alive? It was, I don't know. Like it was, it was just a fresh take on that whole thing and seeing Woody like trying to constantly get him out of the trash and back to Bonnie it was just really fun. And, you know, even the characters that Key and Peele played as, um, I'm trying to remember. Like one was Ducky. What was the other one? It was the rabbit. Do you remember offhand? It I was. Don't. It was just Bunny. I think Bunny was, and yeah. Ducky. <laughs> <laughs> but my goodness, like what? Uh, like once again, a fresh injection into the world of Toy Story. That I mean, you could tell it, it was a departure from a lot of the personalities that we had gotten used to. And really, I mean, I think it it, it speaks volumes to also a lot of the toys that were from Toy Story 1 through 3, they were classic toys. And if you think about, like, the years that they were released, with the exception of, like, Buzz Lightyear, for instance, but, I mean, even Buzz works, too, is a lot of them came from decades earlier, you know, from the 50s, the 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, that sort of thing. 
And I feel like a lot of those, those character voices just perfectly matched those characters based on the time frame they came out. Cause it's, it's, it's a timeless thing and it speaks to even people from different generations. You know, you, they have a certain swagger. They have a certain way they carry themselves or the way that they talk their, their speech patterns and stuff are reminiscent of a time frame that they grew up in. And that's why oftentimes you'll have generations that can't necessarily relate to newer generations because the newer generations are forging their own versions of those things. Yeah, the newer generations just play on iPads. They don't play with toys anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you think of, of uh, Bunny and Ducky? Uh, they were fine. I mean, they were funny. Um, I don't see them fitting in with the other group of toys, though, necessarily. It's kind of like the alien creatures from Toy Story 1. I mean, you, you might see them again and go, oh, yeah, I remember those guys. But they don't really necessarily fit in with, uh, like, Slink and Rex and, you know, Ham and anybody else. You know, it's just they're kind of their own way. I, I don't want to say, like, I mean, they're, they're carnival toys. They're arcade toys, right. you know? Yeah. Like the cheaper stuff. Uh, I mean, I, I know that kind of sounds bad, but, I mean, like, if you got a McDonald's Happy Meal and the little toy that came in there, you're not going to keep that thing. You're going to throw it away after, like, a week, you mm. know? So, anyhow. Um, so, they might have been also, like, transitional characters. They were fine. They were they were funny in the movie. They were hilarious. Yeah. And, and I like, too, how they interacted with, like, Buzz Lightyear, for instance, when they were... Uh, kicking him in the head and, and just that whole thing was just really funny. And, and then they, I liked how they weren't constant antagonizers. Like, like they actually ended up allying up with the other toys and they were trying to help out and do their bit. I absolutely love though, the way that they would tell stories. And I got to say, it is so key and peel. Like I could totally see them doing it on their show where instead of having the toys, it's literally Key and Peele playing as characters where they're like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And then like it cuts to like a fantasized version of like what they're going to do. And then it cuts back to them going, no, that's a terrible idea. And that was funny too. I mean, the plush rush. So outrageous. Yeah. I'm like, (laughs) what is happening? (laughs) It was so good. And again, it, it, it calls back to that, that idea of just, the, the fresh injection of these ideas into it. Because again, it's not so far-fetched where like, I mean, that's what children do all the time is right. they come up with these crazy, ridiculous scenarios in their heads of like how they would take care of something. It's like, no, dude, first of all, like most of what you just said is a physical impossibility. You cannot do what you just said you were going to do. So it's, it's just a lot of fun to be able to watch that take place on on the film. One of the things too about Buzz Lightyear that I thought was interesting. Well, there's a couple of things. One is, is that he was a lot more calm and calculated in Toy Story four, as opposed to how he was in Toy Story one, two, and three. Yeah. I, I, he didn't have as much like, like gusto as he'd had in the previous films. He didn't have as much gusto, but at the same time, I, he didn't have as much smarts. I, I feel like in Toy Story 1, 2, and 3, he was getting like, okay, he's accepted. He's a toy and right. he's you know being part of the group and he understands that Woody's the leader. He's second spot. Yeah. Uh, and so he wants to do what he can to help out and be Andy's toy and you know, whatever. When he's kind of accepted his position in, in his life. But this time, it seemed as if uh, they were trying to bring it back in a way where he, he was going, Oh, inner voice. So let me hit some buttons and see what happens. Like if they kind of dumbed him down in a sense. Well, okay. So let me, let me comment on that. 
I actually really loved the inner voice thing that, that they had going with him because if you recall in the previous Toy Story films, he's always kind of had delusions of grandeur. Like when you first meet him, he thinks he's an actual like right. spaceman. Right. And then Woody and, and, and his crew have to introduce him to the idea that no, he's a toy and he comes, he has that, that moment of clarity when all of a sudden he sees the commercial of all the Buzz Lightyear right. and that sort of thing. Right. So then he gets depressed and stuff, but he still has, you know, he, he has that, that very masculine testosterone, like, you know, he, he's like fiercely loyal, but at the same time, I don't think, I think there are still like little bugs that, that needs shaken out almost because, <laughs> and I feel like the, the inner voice is a terrific con, like continuation of that where you see, he's mostly put together in toy story four. He definitely knows what's up. He's actually trying to help out Forky who now is, has kind of almost taken over that role of just not understanding who he is or what's going on or whatever. And, and so he's a lot more grounded buzz Lightyear. Um, but at the same time, there are these little things that still kind of exist. Like, for instance, like the inner voice thing where like he he literally meet, he, he's thinking, oh, it's it's Woody's pull string as his inner voice. I've never heard of an inner voice, you know, and he's so used to push this button. And that really was a recipe for a lot of genius moments of just like him, you know, because we all know that the toys that have those buttons that you press, it's a randomizer. Like every time you push it, it's going to say something right. different every time. Right. right. And so it's just hilarious how like. 99% of the film, he's pushing a button and whatever comes up, it actually is what he should do. You right. know, it's just I funny. Mean, yeah, I mean, it worked for the movie, but I felt like they had to make him work for that role or make him work for the, those jokes. It just didn't just naturally happen. It, it, it was funny, it worked, but I felt they had to modify him in order for it to work. I actually wanted to see him be more aggressive. Because Buzz has always been the most aggressive toy out of the bunch. And this particular time, like I saw things happen, for instance, with, I don't even remember what those dolls are called, but basically the, was Peggy the main girl doll, the antagonist? Uh, yeah. The, 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 those like old school puppet boy dolls. Those, man, those things are creepy. Those are like ventriloquist looking dolls. Yeah, yeah. It was funny is that I've seen those in person and they creep me out when I see them in person. And then you can tell that the animators just took it to the next level in this film. We were like, you see them moving around. I'm like, man, these things, these things are just creepy. But I was one, I was waiting for Buzz to really lay the smack down on some of them. Gabby was her name. Gabby, thank Gabby. you. What did I say? Patty? Peggy. Peggy. Peggy, oh, Patty, Gabby. There's something in there. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, that, that was something. If I had to critique Buzz, I wanted to. I wanted more of that gusto returned because that is really one of the, the cornerstones of his character. But you just can't get everything. You can't get everything in this life, Russ. Now, I did think that it was sweet how Bo Peep was really fleshed out in this movie. I liked a lot just because she was kind of more of the background characters in the previous Toy Story installments. You didn't really see her do a whole lot. And in this particular film, I felt as though it was a neat opportunity to explore a character like Bo Peep. What, what is her motivation what are her feelings toward what has transpired versus where she is and where she'd like to go? What did you think of Bo Peep, Steve? 
So again, another character. Yeah, I, I'm glad that she was on screen because you know you never really want know what happened to her in the other films. But uh, in a way, her character made sense for the film, but it didn't make make sense for lasting power. Where you don't a, a toy doing what a toy does without being in a child's arms doesn't really make sense. Like, what's a toy going to do exploring the planet and seeing uh-huh. all the planet has to offer with regular life? You know, it, that to me just doesn't sound very interesting, but I guess it was just a send-off for Woody to end up with uh, you know, with Bo. I mean, that's, I guess, man and woman have to get end up together. Those two toys had a relationship. They had to end up getting together. I, I don't think see another way that could have happened, but I guess that was the, the whole point was to send Woody off. And, and in a way... As time goes on, kids are going to play with newer toys. They're not going to want to play with a pole stringy kind of toy anymore. And in that antique shop, Granny said something like that. Ah, no one wants to play with these old toys anymore, which is kind of true. I mean, if you look at all the toys that kids have now, they're kind of more modern stuff of what we had. Yeah. And if, and also... Some stuff that our dad would give us, like, hey, I play with this as a as a toy. You know, when I was a kid, when I was your age, and I thought, okay, cool, it's a big fire truck, awesome. But I'm not really playing with fire trucks anymore, so it's more cool that you give this to me, and it's sentimental, but I'm not going to play with it. I'm probably going to keep it in a box. So, and the toys in the movie wanted to be played with. I mean, when Woody didn't get to go get played with, like Andy played with him, he was feeling down and buzz had to come over there and cheer him up mm-hmm. and i thought actually was a kind of a cool point where he was also looking out for bonnie because he's a more experienced toy with little kids than some of the other toys were right like, hey, he, bonnie needs a toy being in this uncomfortable spot on the first day of kindergarten you know i need to go with her which is kind of cool cool point but um anyway but times have moved past woody and so woody's not going to get really get played with really anymore even by a new kid mm-hmm. i mean bonnie wasn't playing with him well and i think that i think the movie explores that and especially when we, you know, what you just mentioned about how Woody decided to go with Bo Peep and not stick with the toys and kind of have their own adventure. Because, to your point, I do think that when children, when they're introduced to certain toys, I do think it's an age thing as well. I think that, like, when you are between the age of one and four years old, there is a certain type of foundation or catalyst that gets formed around certain toys. And I would be curious to see what would happen. Like if you were to introduce a toy from years past to a child of that age. And I think that they, they demonstrated this really well in this film where what's her name? Peggy, Gabby, Gabby. Thank you. I don't know why I got Peggy on the brain. Gabby was absolutely obsessed over this one girl because she happened to look like the, um, the storybook that comes with her as a toy. And that's all she could see. And of course that girl was actually pretty old. I mean, she was significantly older than, than the second girl that, that she came across and seeing that girl who was lost, who was clearly upset and stressed and afraid and seeing this toy that was there that that was able to like provide her comfort and stuff. There's any what I'm getting at is that there oftentimes are emotions that act as the glue for a child to bond with a specific toy. And I think that the while it does it's not universal, like, oh, like this will happen with every single kid that's in the situation. I think it's neat how how the movie 
decided to demonstrate like how in certain key situations you can have a, like a, a child and a toy that perhaps you wouldn't think at first glance would stick together. But then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, well yeah, there, there is a chance that that could in fact happen. So I don't know. In terms of Gabby, what did you think of Gabby as a character? So Gabby was, was interesting. I mean, they, they were going on about how, you know, you get the impression that she's a villain and everyone's saying that she's really got a, a quirk, you know, quirk to her. And it's interesting with her because she was defective from the from the get go. She, you know, she was DOA, dead on arrival, so to speak. Where you get the toy and you would have returned the toy because the toy doesn't operate the way it was supposed to operate right out of the box. Working in retail, Russ, you get a bunch of those, so you don't know what happened to uh, those toys. Anyhow, so she has a defective voice box. And so no kid's going to want to play with it, you know, with a doll expecting the thing to speak at them. And it doesn't, it's not going to be as interesting. It's just suddenly a, a regular doll. And so Gabby's interesting in the way that she, you know, it's kind of like this horror film thing. Like I want to steal your organ, you know, Woody. Right. Thing, I'm like, Oh man. But it makes sense because she never got to be played with as a toy. She always, she was the rejected toy, kind of like in toy story three. But she was jealous that, uh, you know, this girl would always come in and read this book. And she knew that this was going to be the perfect scenario, the perfect human for her. And then what happens is she finally gets what she wants, which made sense because in all these Toy Story movies, you hardly see the kid pulling Woody's string for the voice box anyway. Um, she gets this second sh shot or a second chance in life. And then the person that she fell in love with, in a sense, her human, goes, eh, I don't want to play with you anyway. Like, I'm past that, you know? And I thought, you know what? What if all of, you know, if I had a second shot in life, you know? Now, now Russ. Oh, uh, yes, Steve. I, I mean, I'm probably as sexy as a five foot seven bald bearded man can get, okay? You're five foot five. <laughs> <laughs> so, but like, what if, what if I went, I had a second chance and I, you know, I bulked up a little bit more, you know, or I could avoid the balding process or, you know, I could be a little bit taller, <laughs> Thanks, you know, geez. whatever. Second, you know, second chance to, to meet somebody or take another opportunity, whatever. I could have been a contender. <laughs> I could have been a contender. You know, not that I want that, but, you know, there's always that what if. Uh -huh. And so if I took back time and I, and I did things differently and, you know, I was different than I am today. And I go, see, here's that opportunity. What do you think? And they would have said, no, still no. You know, I would have like been totally broken hearted instead of like embraced. Wham. Mm. You know what I mean? And become the man I am today. And everything is great. Everything's great, grand, nifty. And I think that's what happened with Bonnie is it wasn't about the voice box. It was just finding that. Oh, that. you mean Gabby? Oh, did I say Bonnie? You did. Gabby. Okay. I don't have the gift of Gab. <laughs> Probably neither do you. Anyway, <laughs> so, you know, she just had to find that right opportunity and the right person. It didn't really matter what she had or didn't have, but the person was seeking comfort. And there was like that exact moment that, this person needed that toy and A plus B equals C later. You know what I'm saying? I have got to say that the, the antagonists in the Toy Story films have always been pretty creepy. Well, the Toy Story 1, the antagonist was Sid. Yeah. Well, he wasn't a toy. 
But the toys that were in there, I mean, granted, yeah, it was more Sid, you know, than the toys, but the toys that he manifested were just creepy too. You're like, oh my gosh. But yeah. I mean, it wasn't their fault, in my opinion. But I mean, you, you look, I think Toy Story 2 was probably the one film that didn't really have a character like that. I mean, you had kind of the the portly nerdy guy who was uh, trying to get Woody and have his collection be complete. <coughs> Excuse me. But, um, you know, in Toy Story 3, you had that like deranged Care Bear looking thing that had the cane. And he was just manipulative and... I did not like him. I'm like, man, this, this is weird. And it's the same thing with Gabby. We're like, if you think about all the actions that took place, she was extremely manipulative and selfish and really non-apologetic. I mean, if you think about like when, when Woody, when, when she realizes that the girl doesn't want her, she doesn't apologize to Woody. She says, well, you can have your voice track thing, whatever it is, the voice recorder back, you know, and she was just saying that because she was depressed. But like, when you think about it, she kidnapped Forky. She was manipulative in learning about Woody, who she knew she was going to have a problem with. And she wanted what it was that he had that made him unique and special and she had her like her little creepy ventriloquist dolls as like her hired muscle. <laughs> you know, when, when you think about all the different things that were going on, I mean, I honestly, I did not like Gabby at all. <laughs> at all. There was no remorse on her side for the, the decisions that she made. And I mean, it's, it is just, I, I really liked Bo Peep, how like Bo Peep knew what was up. She knew the kind she knew, of she knew Gabby's feminine ways. She she feminine was wiles. She, she was aware to Gabby's wily tricks, <laughs> um, and I like that a lot. I thought that was cool. But you know what was weird for me was that Gabby found herself in this position to almost become um, well. It wasn't almost. I mean, she she became this security blanket for this girl at the fair. But I almost found myself thinking: Was she worthy of that opportunity? Because, simply because she was a lousy character. She was a lousy toy leading up to that point where all she wanted, I mean, it's like, yeah, I understand. You want to find someone who's going to play with you and like you and everything else, but look at what it cost you to get there. <laughs> I mean, really, if you think about it, if you stop, I mean, like she's, it's weird because the story itself trying to all of a sudden like give her that chance to be loved by another kid. I'm like, dude, you don't deserve to be loved by another kid because you're an awful person. If you were a person, you're an awful toy. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, true. I mean, she, she was kind of gifted a, a bad hand from the start though. I mean, she was the defective toy. Of course the kid's not going to want to play with her, but not an excuse, not an excuse for what she did. <laughs> But she had to try a little bit hard. She had to think of other ways to actually get out there in the world and and and, and be played with. No pun intended. Yeah, and I get it because it was honestly. I mean, her character was almost like a hybrid of what happened in Toy Story Two with Woody getting um, put on display along with um, Jesse. Jesse, yeah. And uh, what's the 
does tornado or what's what's the the oh horse's name? Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, there was a bit of that where like where Woody was like, "Hey, I belong here. These are like these are my toys," and da, 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 you know. So there was that the kind of displayed thing, never been played with. And if you if you recall in the second movie, there was that minor guy who was right. never taken out of the box, and he was kind of like the main antagonist where. He, at first, he was kind of like that weird, oddly welcoming toy and, and everything else. But then he wanted to um, carry out his ulterior motives because he had never been played with and therefore other toys should suffer kind of thing. It was like it was like a, a hybrid of him and a hybrid of that demented Care Bear toy, that bear toy from Toy Story 3. It was like they kind of mashed those two together. And that's what Gabby was. Where, I mean, I just, I really found myself not trusting her ever. And, and honestly, I thought it was really messed up how when she kidnapped Forky and held him against his will, she used him as a pawn in order to basically, I mean, when you think it's really creepy, like if those were real people, it's basically a person holding another person hostage until the person of interest is willing to go under the knife and have surgery to remove like a kidney or something that the other character needs. Right. And so then the other character essentially, I mean, Woody basically gave up. <laughs> he basically said, okay, fine, go ahead. You know, and then you got one of those creepy ventriloquist dolls who's performing the surgery on Woody to take out the voice recorder. That was his, it was, it was designed specifically for him. Right. You know, he sacrificed that part in order to get Forky back in order to have Bonnie, essentially have Bonnie's joy restored. I mean, that is messed up. Gabby's joy restored. Hers too. Well, what Bonnie didn't even know about the other doll. No, what I'm saying is, is that Woody knew that in order to have Bonnie's joy restored, he had, oh, to, get he had to get Forky back. back. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, and that was really big of Woody to be able to do that. But I didn't, I honestly, dude, I hated seeing Woody in that position. I mean, seeing where like he, there wasn't a way out. He knew he, he had to do it and it was, he knew he wouldn't be the same toy afterwards. Yeah. I, I, that's so, that's definitely true. But the thing is, Bonnie didn't really care. So Bonnie or Gabby, Bonnie, because Bonnie wasn't playing with Woody at all. And so she true. could care less if he had the voice thing in him or not. Yeah. And so I like, don't think it was, I don't think it was a dependency on Bonnie I think it was at that point it had more to do with the fact that Woody was a collector's item himself. He was a classic right. and everything about him is something that is, is very hard to find. He's a rarity. So from that, that perspective, you know, looking at that, it's like, man, like, like seeing his back, how it's no longer there. And then she's got it. And, and it's just like, dude, you, like I, if, if I were a toy, I would be telling Gabby off. I'd be like, you are a, horrible toy <laughs> <laughs> i'd make that oh, rating go man. from g to rated r oh, and that's when the popcorn really started to sell <laughs> yeah. so yeah no i mean rated I, r for russ and, it, and depending on what they do with gabby uh if they even bring her back i mean they're you can tell they're not going to bring woody back they're, they're if they do you never know woody, yeah. Woody I, is a main character. Like that, that's okay. I'm glad. Okay, go ahead. Go finish your thought. This, this just, is good. I'm, I'm glad we're getting into this. I'm just, I just don't think that they're going to, they're going to bring Woody back. I mean, Woody had, the whole point of a toy is to be 
with Andy or to be with Bonnie, to be with your owner and to see your owner delight in playing with you as a toy. That's like the, your sole meaning of existence. And so when Bonnie doesn't care about playing with Woody anymore and Woody knows it and he still has feelings for Bo Peep and Bo Peep, he had that opportunity at the beginning to be like, yeah, come with me. We'll be lost toys together. At least we'll have each other. And Woody chose not to do that. Now he, now Woody did all he could for Bonnie who doesn't care about him. So Bonnie's okay because she has Forky. It was like a lasting sacrifice to bring happiness to another random child who doesn't care about Woody at all either. Uh And Woody can choose happiness with Bo Peep and he doesn't even need the voice box anymore. And that is true. Like, like with the decision that he made to go with Bo Peep, it was nice too. like, you know, Bo Peep is, is a ceramic toy and it was neat to see how like her arm had gotten broken. Right. That was a lot of fun. I mean, like I said, there there was just a lot of character development with Bo Peep that I've really appreciated. And I found myself just really digging Bo Peep that much more. I always thought she was a really cool character to begin with. Right. She had that that real level-headed sensibility about her. But uh, with this film, it, it was really cool. And when it comes to Woody departing with Bo Peep to go on their own adventures... It does make me wonder, okay, what does that Pandora's box contain? What kind of adventures would they go on? And if they make a Toy Story 5, are they going to have it without Woody and Bo Peep? Or will they somehow make a return? Are they going to potentially have this new direction or this new idea where the the movies of Toy Story have more to do with the world of toys. So then you suddenly have all these like sub chapters within the overall story. I mean, there, there are a lot of different types of opportunities from a, a narrative direction standpoint that they could play with it. I mean, it, it would turn into a sandbox really. I do think there is a risk though, that if you go too far, you lose the essence of what makes Toy Story, Toy Story. So that you, you probably have some some confines in there that you have to. I'm sure keep gonna, in mind. There's gonna be a Disney TV show in there somewhere too. Yeah, no, there is. Russ. Hopefully not, because I, I yeah. <laughs> Toy Story should remain a theatrical experience. Well, should in my opinion, should and what will happen is TBD. But we all know Disney's out for the Benjamins. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I wanted to talk about. Let's go. Um, um, onto graphics. So the graphics in, in this movie are gorgeous. It's it, We've talked about this multiple times in the past about CG movies are just, it's amazing to me how they continue to stride and improve upon these different types of, of techniques. Well, and, and Toy Story for me is no, is no slack. Slaggard? Laggard? Laggard! Ah! It's no slacker or laggard. Go ahead, Steve. Well, I'm not. I think you're giving you being a little bit too generous. Too generous? No, 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 no. Not not in terms of of this movie. But I think you're you're saying the way computer graphics have gone for all animated movies has gotten very, very good. I wouldn't go that far. I would say Pixar's standalone is the best and continues to impress. I've seen other. CG movies that are fine and great and whatever. 
where Pixar has drawn a line. They have a bar and it is high and they have continued to keep it that way. Oh, I totally agree. Totally, absolutely. Oh, agree. you had me confused. I'm sorry. So case in point, remember how I was telling you last week about how I watched Finding Nemo with my daughter? Right. It was her first time seeing it. Yeah. I hadn't watched that movie in years and I watched it and I could tell that the movie looks dated by today's standards. So the technical achievement of Finding Nemo, even though it is a Pixar, like Pixar films, the reason why that bar is set and it's so high and it's, and it's exclusive to Pixar is the storytelling. The storytelling is what really pushes their movies uh, like head and shoulders above all the other types of CG animated feature films. Now the, the technical achievement of the graphics and that sort of thing, that certainly plays a part in that as well, because I do believe that the Pixar films are still the best. It's still like, like if you were to look at like a DreamWorks film, for instance, even though DreamWorks has good films, they do not, in my estimation, stay at the same level right. as what a Pixar film does. Yeah, but having for, first year second place. Having said that, like if you were to go back to 1995 and you watch the original Toy Story movie and you look at Toy Story 4 side by side, there are huge oh, yeah. differences in the technical achievement that they've been able to do. And it makes sense because technology over time improves and you know, I'm I'm definitely not faulting them for that, but Toy Story 4, especially in the lighting, the lighting, the reflections, the ray tracing in that. I mean, I'm, I'm watching that just, just scene after scene. And I'm thinking, how long did it take them to render each one of these frames? Because this is just, <laughs> there's so much going on. The poly count is the highest I've ever seen. Okay, okay, okay. The texture resolution oh, is super high. The aliasing. Uh, yeah, okay, Russ. The subsurface scattering. I mean, it is crazy. Like, <laughs> oh, you're okay. I geek out about this kind of stuff because we're talking about things that is is my area of interest here. But it's man, it is so cool to like just go to Pixar film after Pixar film, and you see these huge leaps. Like I, I would say next week, watch Finding Nemo. I will. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts just on the, the graphics fidelity of that film. I want you to tell me if you notice that they do look dated by today's expectations. I will, Russ. I would be curious to know. I've watched that movie plenty of times. I know exactly what you're talking about. Because, Steve, I have a very discerning eye because I work in 3D modeling and animation. Therefore, maybe I'm being too picky because I, that was the things I look for versus someone like you who represents more of the average moviegoer. What I look for, Russ, I mean, I, I, I get that where you're coming from. Okay. I, all, all that stuff. Yeah, I get it. What, what makes more of an impression on me is the expression, like the, the humanity of it. Yeah, they're toys. Yeah, they're sea animals. Yeah, they're, you know, whatever. However, the expression that is brought with Pixar it could be as simple as like a, a lift of a certain eyebrow or one small grin. That's not you know, huge, but it's like, it's There's just there. Subtle and they, nuances. The subtle nuances. 
um, the eye glance, like the the touch on the shoulder, all this little stuff that you would expect had it been one human to another human. Right. However, if you watch a plethora of other movies, oh, there's that word again. There's it is non-existent at all. It's not there. I agree. So that's what I'm picking up on. Oh, I know. That's what I'm picking up. What's being thrown down. So the musical chorus was done by Randy, um, Randy Quaid, right? Randy Newman, (laughs) Randy Quaid. (laughs) (laughs) And really there wasn't any kind of groundbreaking stuff with the the score. Um, It it was just kind of standard toy story fare. In fact, I didn't think it was as memorable as some of the previous soundtracks of toy story. It's just sound like a kind of a rehashing actually of, but I mean, they didn't. I mean, like, like, like Buzz Lightyear, for instance. I think there was maybe a hinting of the. I didn't hear it. What I want, what I want to infinity and beyond. You know, that's that. Yeah, I don't recall. Yeah, I don't know. I just don't. Now, totally random thing. Loved the RC skunk. I thought that was great. <laughs> that was funny. Oh, and the other character, the what's her name? That little dinky oh, toy, yeah. the giggles. I, or, I remember that seeing that one on TV. Well, you know, I, I was gonna say yeah, it looked familiar, like her little like that. headquarters or whatever. I remember seeing commercials for that, and I did for sure see the Captain Crash person, whatever it was. Captain, oh, was it Kaboom? Captain, yeah, yeah. Kaboom. Or I've seen toys like that. Yeah. Maybe not, not him the per se. The sub bike driver or whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it was funny. I didn't think that was Keanu Reeves at all. I didn't either. I, was, I saw it in the credits and I went in the world is freaking Keanu Reeves. <laughs> yeah. No, I thought that was really cool how like he, he wasn't recognizable at all, but he still gave a, a very memorable performance. Ke- he's been busy. Keanu is the man. He has been busy busy. Got the John Wick series going on. He's in Cyberpunk 2077 video game. He's, He's in Pixar. This is his, I think his first uh, animated feature film, at uh, least in Pixar, obviously. I was reading something earlier. He's he's in a Netflix show, too. Oh, really? Yeah, I forgot the name of it, but he's in an, of like a, he's, he's, like 2019 has treated him well. Well, and he's <laughs> earned it. I gotta say, it is always a pleasure You're right. to be, watch that man do what he does. <laughs> Oh, by the way, totally random. Did you know that like both he and uh, Sandra Bullock, when they did the movie Speed, they both had crushes on each other? I I think I heard about that. Yeah, yeah. that's crazy. Like, uh, well, it happens in Hollywood all the time. Come on, but that's a that's a couple that I would want to see together. Yeah, I think they yeah. make a good couple. Yeah, who was Sandra Bullock with at the time? I think she was with that tattoo dude. Um, no, I don't think she was married that back then. That was way, was that way back, back in the day. Yeah, I, I think know. she was single. They were both young and single. Mm, both young, single, and sexy. <laughs> 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 All right, well, let me, let's get into some movie trivia courtesy of IMDb. In November of 2018, Tom Hanks claimed that the ending was emotional and, quote, a moment in history. He also added that he couldn't face the crew while recording his final lines because he got emotional with them. This came around six weeks after co-star Tim Allen said he could not get through the last few scenes because how, of how emotional they were. Really, really cool because it, it just it speaks volumes to the fact that these, these movies are classics. They are beloved 
stories. The characters are timeless. It's just, I mean, I personally love all of the characters in Toy Story. I, I think that they are wonderful. And, and I think looking at where these characters are, are headed, it makes perfect sense that that the voice actors who have given these characters life, who have given them their soul, so to speak, probably have a bond, uh, an attachment to them and, and seeing what they're going through and stuff. I don't know. I, I think it's really neat. They're, they're not just they're collecting a paycheck that they actually do have this very heavy investment in these characters. Yeah. I can almost see Tom Hanks go or Tom Hanks getting a phone call from Pixar. Like, yeah, we're making a toy story for you. And yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even care how much I'm getting paid. Let's just do it. The legendary comedian and voice of Mr. Potato Head, who was uh, Don Rickles. He passed away right. in 2017. Yeah before he was able to record his part as the classic toy for the upcoming Toy Story 4. Uh, Rickle's family, however, reportedly contacted the studio and asked if there was any way that they could create a performance using the recordings they had already done. So that's exactly what the studio did, using the recordings from not only the previous three films, but also the video games, theme parks, and more, they were able to craft a whole new performance out of his voice. Pretty, pretty sweet, if you ask me. The story for Toy Story 4 was created by John Lasseter, Andrew Stanton, uh, Pete Docter, and Lee Uncrich. After they established a story outline for Toy Story 4, John Lasseter officially announced the project, saying Toy Story 3 ended Woody and Buzz's story with Andy so perfectly that for a long time, we never even talked about doing another Toy Story movie. But when Andrew, Pete, Lee, and I came up with this new idea, I just could not stop thinking about it. It was so exciting to me, I knew we had to make this movie, and I wanted to direct it myself. And of course, as we had... uh, Mentioned just a moment ago, this is Keanu Reeves' first Disney movie. He's a busy man. Indeed. This film was released 24 years after Toy Story from 1995, 20 years after Toy Story 2 in 1999, and nine years after Toy Story 3 from 2010. Man, nine years ago? Yeah. Can't be. Tom Hanks revealed on the Graham Norton show in 2007 that Disney executives forbade him to talk about this film before the film was officially announced by Walt Disney Pictures because it could influence the stock market value of the company. Wow. Which makes sense because back in 2007, I do not believe that Disney had acquired Pixar yet. Hmm. Little wheeling and dealing behind closed doors. <laughs> Keanu Reeves, during a meeting with Pixar, um, had suggested that his character, Duke Kaboom, would continually pose throughout. This idea was embraced by Pixar and was incorporated into the animation of Duke Kaboom. So that was Keanu Reeves' idea. (laughs) I mean, this is great. Yeah. This film will mark John Lasseter's final involvement with Pixar Animation Studios before he exits the Disney company as chief creative officer. And I cannot think of a more fitting fitting and appropriate film to end it on. It's almost like coming full circle with like he got started with Toy Story in 95 that put Pixar on the map and now he's exiting out with Toy Story 4. Pixar's First film, 
to not be accompanied by a short film. I was going to mention that. Since uh, their first film, Toy Story 1995. I was going to mention that. Yeah, you know, I I actually didn't even catch that when we were in the, in the theater because there were so many freaking movie no, trailers before the film. Almost 20 minutes worth. I forgot, like, what the heck I was sitting in that chair for. I'm like, what is going on? I thought the Trolls movie was the beginning of the short film. Okay, yeah. And so I was like, yeah, this is great. And then the whole thing started to play out like, this sucks. Like, what's going on? You know, then I'm like, oh, it's not the it's not the Pixar short film. That's why. I think that was a calculated mistake. I think uh well not calculated. I think it was a miscalculated right situation that that resulted in being a mistake. Simply because the short films are opportunities for Pixar to be able to demonstrate a new type of R&D technique within CGI. If you think about it, every short film that they have made, there has always been something, whether it's fur or it's cloth dynamics or it's subdivision surfaces or right, it's yeah. ray tracing, any yeah, of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you look at it or water dynamics, like, you know, Moana, for instance, like, if, you know, with uh, the whole lava, um... All of those have, have showcased something. And also, too, it's a great opportunity for the studio to be able to, to just tell a second story. It was, it was literally like a bonus that you'd get in addition to the, the feature film that you paid for. It was fun to be able to like also be told another story that was like five to ten minutes long. And I miss it. Me too, Russ. Let's see here. A new location set to feature in this film is called Second Chance Antiques, established 1986. Well, hmm. Pixar Animation Studios, the studio, of course, behind the Toy Story series, became its own corporation in 1986. And if you think about it, it was its own second chance because... Pixar, as a group, was owned by George Lucas and was in the umbrella of Industrial Light and Magic. Hmm. Steve Jobs purchased Jabsy Pixar because George at the time was like, oh, I don't know what to do with this group or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> <laughs> You're making him sound Give like a, a drunkard. <laughs> So anyway, Steve Jobs had purchased Pixar and that was their second chance. I'm like, dude, poetic justice. Love it. I love oh, the little touches like that. I'll touch you in a minute. Woo! Don't tease me. <laughs> <laughs> the third Pixar film to score 100% on Rotten Tomatoes after Toy Story and Toy Story 2 is Toy Story 4. Mm, nice. And finally, one of the recorded... Uh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> yeah, one of the recorded phrases... In Buzz Lightyear, that is heard when he presses the buttons on his chest are, quote, open the pod bay doors, end quote, which was a famous line from Stanley Kubrick's sci-fi film 2001, A Space Odyssey from 1968. And that is your trivia, courtesy of IMDb. Yeah. So, Steve, in conclusion. Yes. What did you think of Toy Story 4 and what star rating do you give it? Well, Russ, you're probably not going to like me for this. I don't like you for a lot of things. Yeah, I know. Um, well, I think I'm going to give it a 3.5. Three and a half. 
And the reason for that is just because, you know, I, yeah, I enjoyed it, but this is not going to be a Toy Story I'm going to go back to. Uh, maybe I might feel different uh, if I watch it a second or third time, but I don't see this one. I see it as a, yes, a Toy Story continuation, but a, a continuation that I didn't feel really needed to be there because I was way more than happy with the, the trilogy that we got. I mean, the Toy Stories 1, 2, and 3 literally got better as they progressed which is very rare because typically the first one's the best and then the, and they kind of start to falter a bit as they the trilogy plays out. My opinion is that if, of the of this series is the other way around. Toy Story 1 was was really good and then they got better with Toy Story 2 and then Toy Story 3 was like the ultimate finale and I couldn't imagine a different way that this this could play out. So, Toy Story 4 yeah, I'm glad I saw it in the theater and I had a great time and I had some laughs and I love seeing all the characters again. They had some crazy good talent for pretty much everybody that was on screen and uh it was it was fun and it was fine it just it, it was fun and it was fine you know um i think if you're a fan of the series you you're gonna definitely gonna enjoy it you definitely should go out and see it i don't think this is gonna bring anybody new to the series um it, but you know i i'm a little bit worried of where if, if they decide to bring out a new trilogy this kind of has me a little bit nervous because they're on some shaky ground yeah i'll still go and see it but um i just don't want to be nervous with it with a trilogy that i that's become loved you know uh i do love this series <clears throat> so to me 3.5 but above average but um just not terrific all right fair enough for me it was risky of Disney and Pixar to come out with a Toy Story 4. And it's exactly what your point is, where Toy Story 1, 2, and 3 was and is such a perfect trilogy. And they bookended it really nicely. So it begged the question, what more do they have to tell when it comes to Toy Story 4? And... I, for one, really enjoyed the film. I think that it paid off very handsomely. I think that there were new types of directions that allowed for the storytellers to explore. And it really, I don't know, like the idea of a toy has tremendous amount of potential in terms of what the toy goes through, what they experience, what they discover about themselves as well as each other and what they're capable of. And I think that this movie, you know, this movie almost acts as an epilogue to the original trilogy. Like if they were to ever like only make four Toy Stories, I would look at Toy Story 4 as a, as a way of just like being able to have that that opportunity to be able to show okay well what does go on what happens because in the in the original trilogy it focuses around Andy and how Andy loves all of his toys and the idea of them being essentially adopted by this other kid there are certain realities that they have to come to terms with such as no longer being the go-to toys that she likes to play with but also, too, exploring the idea of because they have this treasure trove of memories and experiences themselves of being toys and also understanding, like, the psyche of a child. 
That is profound. It's a profound opportunity for a character like Woody, for instance, like what we talked about earlier, to understand what Bonnie was going through, to know and identify and say, hey, she's going to kindergarten. We know the types of stress and uncertainty is is attributed to that type of scenario. Therefore, he almost became this nanny. It was really neat to see that side of Woody um, all of a sudden just, just, just be placed on display. I do think too, that, that there are with these newer characters, again, it's always difficult to have new characters come into the fold because you never know if they're going to be accepted or not. And I think that that, that another example of this is in guardians of the galaxy. You know, when they had new characters come in as part of the team it was a risk because you had such strong chemistry with the, the core team that when Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 came out and we, and we were introduced to some of these other characters, we're like, is this going to work? Is this going to not? But it did. And so by the time you come to Avengers Infinity War and you see them all together, it's like, yeah, I completely accept that those characters are a part of the Guardians ship. I mean, they're, they're, they're part of the crew. And so I think it was the same thing with like with uh, Bunny and Ducky with Forky. You have these these characters that you're just like, well, like like visually speaking, they are a vast departure from what. Honestly, when you look at at the group of of the of the toys, like like they have like this this cohesiveness to them. This 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 thing that works. And, um, and I'm just glad that, that they were willing to go down that path and see what was going on because they end up being just fantastic characters unto themselves. I mean, just, I loved hearing Forky talk every time because he's just, he's kind of slow on the, on the pickup, but yet it, I don't know, like, like just that combined with how utterly ridiculous he is as a toy. I mean, you look how like he, the poor t- thing just doesn't have legs. So he's having to try and like wiggle his way with his little <laughs> like popsicle splintered feet. And he's got like those like googly eyes that are just everywhere in, in his clay mouth. I mean, like it was just, it was so funny in his own way. And if you think about it, Slinky Dog or Rex or Mr. Potato Head or Buzz or Woody, they all have their own sense of humor. I mean, think about that for a minute. It's all their own personalities. But it's it's such a testament to the storytelling, the script writing of these characters. When when you go through character development, how I mean how many toys do you think are in that film? I mean, there are a ton yeah. of toys in, the, in all of these films, and yet each one of them is completely unique in how their their personalities shine, and and furthermore, how their sense of humor. And Porky, you know, the the piggy bank's sense of humor is completely different than that of like, say, Mister Potato Head. I mean, Mister Potato Head's he's kind of a kind of a wise ass. <laughs> Um, but it's just great to be able to like look at the, those um, character archetypes and be able to like just appreciate it. You know, as a viewer, um, I'm just like, man, like this is this, this is just quality. It's just pure quality. I don't know where they're going to take the film. I don't know, like like you were saying, I don't know if if they're going to make a Toy Story five or six. Well, that remains to be seen. But I do find myself um, 
just welcoming the Toy Story 4 film into the trilogy, like I said, I mean, it fits really well as an epilogue. And I'm going to give it... I'd say I'm going to give Toy Story 4 four stars. I knew it. Four stars. I knew it. I don't think that it was as good as um, some of the previous films, you know, um, but having said that, I do think it was a very, very enjoyable film. I thought it was quality. I, you know, what's, what's interesting about these characters, the original Toy Story was one of the early films that inspired me to pursue the career that I'm in today. And that means a lot to me because prior to CGI, I was wanting to become an animator. I was wanting to, to like work for Disney and do 2D animation, that sort of thing. But I found myself really struggling with having to, to draw frame after frame after frame. I just, I didn't have the endurance. And of course I, I was, I was younger back then. I was just a kid. But even going to college, I took a class in 2D animation. I mean, it takes a ton of work to do that. And I was like, man, I just, I just want a different type of medium that I can express myself creatively with. And really, it was the first Jurassic Park movie that came out in 1993. And it was the first Toy Story movie that came out in 1995. And suddenly, it, I was absolutely on fire because I found my calling. I was like, this is it. This is precisely the, the vehicle that I want to be able to use. And so I've always had, um, just a, a really uh, special place, um, in my heart for toy story, because it was like this perfect formula, this perfect recipe, whether it was creative storytelling or it was the technical achievement or it was the, the music and stuff. I mean, the voice actors, everything just worked so well. And it was neat. I found myself with toy story for, um, really immersing myself back into that world. And I think that that is so cool to like have that callback and the, you know, the kind of the deep recesses of your mind where like, it's like, wow, we're, we're back with these characters again. And it's so like, I want to be here. I, I, I just love having time with these characters again that we, oh, you know, again, we haven't been with for like nine years. And it, it plays, I mean, even the, when you think about like the movies, when they were released, it does play into one of the, the reoccurring themes within Toy Story, which is that time marches on. You can't control it. And it's important that, that you just cherish the memories that you forge, not only with like your toys and stuff, but with each other as in relationships and stuff, because People get older. You know, I loved how in Toy Story 3, how the wiener dog was old. You know, he, he comes in and <laughs> that's right. And the wiener fat, dog had yeah. age. Yeah. And like he, he doesn't have as much zip anymore, that sort of thing. And it was bittersweet because you can, I, you, you know, your soul identifies with that type of visual imagery where it's like, yeah, we all get older, you know, and, and, and we, we just can't control that. But it, that's what makes every moment count. That's what makes it like, like, you know, don't hold back on, you know, telling that special someone that you care about and that sort of thing. And I think that that, that just plays in as kind of a subcurrent of, uh, of like just the, the Toy Story film. So anyway, I'm going to leave it right there. 
and just say that uh, that wraps up this episode of Joygasm. Make sure you tune in next week. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm and consider becoming a monthly contributor. You'll get exclusive perks and early access to the show, not to mention it really helps us continue doing what we love to do. Also, you can follow us on social media and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. In addition to iTunes and Android, you can listen to our podcast on TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Spotify, and SoundCloud.com slash Joygasm TV. Last but not least, search Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. We'll see you next week. Later. <laughs>